Hello everyone, welcome to our newest episode of You Hate to See It, where this is our house, this will always be our house, and there's no place like home. I'm Adam. I'm Jeff. <laughs> I'm Nick. You didn't know Maxwell House joke? No. Uh, no blue can And this week we are joined by special guest, uh, writer of the poetry book The Immortal Soul Salvage Yard, and star of the hit D&D podcast Dungeons and Daddies, which is not a BDSM podcast, Beth May. Beth, welcome to the show. Please don't Hi. encourage him. I'm so... <laughs> Wait, am I am I like losing my mind or was that no, a that was directed at my you. high school graduation? Yes, oh, yes, it was. Yeah. Unfortunately for you, it is on YouTube and oh, I found it. Oh no. Okay. I need to setting you up out. real high for I'm how sure 19 year old Beth posted that on YouTube. I'm sure she was so proud of it. Um, yeah, but now, so it, now I need to it's on to... the Beth May YouTube yeah, that channel. Makes sense. Yes. Uh, yeah. So much of life is just, you know, you're two different people, really. And you have to go scold the person that posted that. And it's you. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I watched it and I enjoyed every second of it and then read the comments of other people who are fans of Dungeons and Dragons okay, who I have need been to... watching it. Yikes. All right. I need to. It has a lot of views, Beth. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'll give you a little heads up on how much as we go through here. So. Oh, man. Yeah, honestly, shit. we can just this pause is, really quick as I traumatize you. This is pretty upsetting. Um, Don't worry. My first question is going to be um, because I wasn't there. Uh, I've already lost it. What was the great tornado warning of 2010? I don't fucking remember that. Okay. Yeah, that was like, I'm sure we had a tornado warning in Arizona, and that's exactly what happened. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to say Arizona? it. I'm sorry to say it so rudely like that, but yeah, I really don't remember. So much of what was very important to me when I was 17 or 18 is no longer important to me, and I, nobody told me it would be that way, you know. But that's how it is. It's only 7.4k, so. Oh yeah, seven point four thousand views. So oh it's my not. God. Okay. All right. That's not. It could be worse. It could be. It worse. could be much worse. Yeah. But I'm sure if you don't delete well, it by the time this episode comes out, it will be much more. At least, at least three more people, and they'll all yeah, be at least. Me. That's like our whole base for some reason. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So for for those who don't know, uh, Beth is on. Uh, podcast dungeon and daddies she has played ron stampler and scary marlo uh <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm doing the intro to the show guys leave me alone um so how did this work we put into one in a while <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> this is so you are like one of We've had Tommy Chong on, and I'm more excited to have you on the podcast than I was to have Tommy Same. Chong on. The Shut podcast, up! You so. had Tommy Chong. That's awesome. Yeah. How did you? Thanks how did that happen? Us before coming on, that's really I'm nice. so sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bad person. Uh, literally, I I knew a guy who also interviewed Tommy Chong, and okay. he gave me the email address to his publicist, and I just emailed him, and he was Sick. like, "Oh yeah, how many people listen to your show?" And I lied, and then they, we got Tommy Chong. <laughs> that's showbiz baby yeah um yeah so how did uh how did you get approached to do dungeons and daddies um the way i tell it which probably isn't super true but um the way i in my memory um <laughs> that it went was that um 
that Freddie came up to me at a Christmas party and said, we need a girl for our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To play a guy. uh, No, I I was offered to play a mom at first. Yeah. Mm. Um, And I was like, I'm not playing a mom. I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not putting myself out there to be the only woman on a podcast playing a woman. I'm not Mm going to get the misogyny from two perspective entry points. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm sure he I'm sure Freddie actually was just like, hey, we really like your stuff. We want you to be on our podcast. But in my mind, somehow it's like <laughs> we need a girl. <laughs> we did do a Facebook post about that like a year ago about we've only ever interviewed men. And we were like, maybe we should like oh, try and interview women because and literally we asked around and no one was interested. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I think it, like like other things, it can be hard to like you know, as a woman, be like want to be involved with a thing that feels like all guys and should be a boys' club. So you know, maybe it's a little intimidating to people. But well, ladies, the water's fine here. Take the plunge. Come on. <laughs> we we just join a podcast. Swear, like, that's all we do. I I think I think the look of us is just abrasive to to anyone else <laughs> that's so, very true um <laughs> we really we really ride that three straight white men with a podcast <laughs> energy and it's it's rough how dare it's... you how dare you come out okay here. our resident <laughs> mexican here who... our resident ethnically ambiguous person <laughs> yeah he lets us get away with a lot more <laughs> as long um, as he says it so how did going from playing Ron Stampler, what was your decision then to switch and become the only female member of the podcast playing a female character in season two? Um, yeah, like, well, wh- to be to be transparent, I got tired of being a guy. So um, <laughs> I uh, I I thought um, I thought it'd be fun to uh, bring especially because we were doing a season that was about growing up and about um being a teenager i felt it was kind of important for me to play a teenage girl because i i've been a teenage girl i've i've given (laughs) high school speeches about things and so um i know what it's like it's a tough it's a tough time so i i it was important to me to um to for lack of a better phrase like put that kind of stank on it the uh the uh being a being a not quite a girl not yet a woman so there you go. Was it ever a conversation for one of the guys to play a girl? Well, Will two? Will has played women before. Like he played uh, in our bonus, uh, in our at the Mountains of Dadness thing. He he played yeah. Hildy, and yeah. he did a wonderful job and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so with with these guys, I would never feel like they were making fun of women or whatever if they were to play a woman. Um, I just uh, I don't think it ever really occurred to play one long term who knows though you know podcast isn't over i i feel like the freddy energy playing a woman would freddy like, i would uh... not let play a woman. <laughs> no that, i would his, i would i would yeah his, his sons and sensibilities woman was pretty risque <laughs> yeah. and i was like i was kind of uncomfortable being like i feel like this is rude in many ways and not a, not acceptable but i guess because it's freddy will allow it but 
yeah well well a lot for sure yeah i i his his sense and sense uh sensibility sons and sensibility character is actually i think the most underrated character that he's played <laughs> I, I i'm i'm obsessed with her actually i feel like it's like every three sentences he brings up his huge breasts <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i'm just I, like, I, that's, I like his boobs were his personality i was <laughs> Well, we all have that gal pal who's like that too. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ours is Nick. Yeah. <laughs> also, feel free to poke jokes at Nick for whatever. That's our punching bag. That is. Aww, I would I'm never. just here to laugh. That's fine. We'll do it enough. So. Yeah. Um, um. I actually had a question. So because I remember listening to Talking Dads, and you had never played D and D before Dungeons and Daddies. So how did the character building of building Ron Stampler go off the beginning? Because if you go back and listen, you can really see the growth of you as like a D&D player and the growth of him like through getting levels and stuff. How was it trying to like build Ron Stampler from the ground up at the beginning? It was um, it was wild because it was like um, and and yeah as you astutely pointed out you can kind of see like the like ron is very different in like the first episode than he is like in later episodes and i think i um when i was going into to playing ron i didn't put a lot of thought into it i put a lot of thought into like what archetype do i want to kind of fulfill but not necessarily like the background or anything like that i guess um to be fair, Anthony didn't really say that we needed stuff like that <laughs> at first, um, and we weren't planning on making it a, a big, you know, podcast. So um, we were just kind of along for the ride. And um, so it's like I, I actually put very little thought into it, much less thought than I would into, like, for example, a script or something like that. But um, so... Uh, yeah, it, and then I think as I realized we were in this for the long haul, I really started kind of filling in the shades of gray there and um, and thinking about uh, what kind of uh, things in Ron's past would have led him to be the type of person that he is today. So, uh, How did, like, when did you guys realize that this was a big thing and it was growing at a rapid pace? I mean, by episode seven, you guys started a Patreon, so... Like, uh, like, it, it must have happened fairly quick, a pretty big ramp up to warrant that. I came, I started listening, I think you guys were already on like episode 15 or, or something when I, I, was say, even, I started it around like, a, like when you guys had just released episode 12. Yeah, so, so I had already, you'd already blown up and I didn't realize that it was not huge at one point, so... But again, not huge for seven episodes. So. Well, you know, we were coming out of nothing, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like Freddie and Will Matt, you know, they were Rocket Jump. They had that history there and that fan base. Although Freddie was very, like, clear that he wanted this to be something that could stand on its own merit. Like, he never posted from the Rocket Jump Twitter account that we had this and stuff like, you know, so it, it was like you'd have to be pretty a big fan to be following him from rocket jump into this which many people were so we were super lucky in that regard mm -hmm. um and I, I can't there was never a moment that it like it hit me that like we could do this really it was it felt very gradual actually um but i think that once we did get around to like the teens episodes like you know episode maybe like 
yeah, 15 or 16, I was like, oh, like this is making money. And, um, you know, if I keep making money, then I won't have to work as an assistant. Uh, and, you know, then I could maybe just do creative stuff. It, it like kind of occurred to me. And I still didn't let myself like think that that was real for another <laughs> six months after that point, or maybe a year. But um, yeah, it, it all felt kind of actually pretty gradual. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and so you mentioned you were an assistant. Are you 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 left that job, correct? Yeah, I left. Um, I left at the end of um 2019. <laughs> I would, I probably caused it. Yeah. Yeah. I left. I left in December 2019. And I was like, "Man, this next year is going to be lit." It's yeah. okay. We started a podcast in January 2020, and then you know the fun stuff happened. Yep. Yeah. I graduated from college with my film degree in December oh, of 2019. That's worked on ass, one dude. job. I I did pickup days for uh, a film called Echo Boomers, and one of the guys on that movie him and I were out having a beer afterwards and he's like, Hey, I loved your work ethic. I'm getting ready to start a project. It's three months long in Connecticut, three movies back to back to back. We're keeping the same crew for all three movies. Um, I want you to come with me. And I was like, this sounds awesome. I've done one gig and immediately have this great opportunity. And he's like, and I was like, when does it start? And he's like, May. And I was like, awesome. And it's February oh, right now. Man. And then three weeks later, he calls me up and is like, yeah. So with COVID, the movie's not happening anymore. So go fuck yourself, essentially. Not like that. I still talk to him, but <laughs> that's like ass. I'm so sorry yeah. that happened. And uh yeah, and then literally got a real job, came out of COVID, sort of, because restrictions were still happening. Um, but got on a movie during the movie this past year uh covid restrictions lifted and we were like great and then the writer strike started and we we're like no big deal it's the writers <laughs> like we don't need the writers to make the movies it's fine and then the movie ended and then two weeks later the actor strike ended and we we're like it's fine we'll be back up and running in a couple months and then we didn't <laughs> and <laughs> so i've literally had two jobs in the film industry since 2019 <laughs> I mean, well, like to put it a little bit in perspective, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comparing our like experiences because that like objectively sucks ass. But, you know, it's like I've lived in L.A. for uh, almost eight years and um, I've only worked on one feature, you know, <laughs> and it was Mad Freddy's. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've tried to work in other stuff. And then, I mean, I, I worked on features when I worked in development as an assistant. But, you know, it, that was an assistant capacity and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just like. It, everything about the film industry takes way longer than it should or that you think it will so that's my like sick yeah. advice <laughs> well and speaking of that movie so it's uh it's we're all gonna die uh do we know when that's coming out yet Ooh, so actually interesting covid story on our end was that so um south by southwest invited us to um to do our first ever live show in march of 2020 
and we were so excited. We were we were so young then, and we were mm -hmm. just like, oh my gosh, we're gonna do a. That's when it felt real. I was like, I'm gonna do a fucking live show in front of actual people <laughs> that are paying to see me and other people. And then COVID happened, and we never got to do that. And then you know we didn't do our first live show until um, uh, July of uh, 2023, so this year, um, or this past year. And um, and then we're all gonna die got into south by southwest and so i am gonna get to go to south by southwest it's just on something that i worked on in a much less fancy capacity <laughs> than uh the dungeons and daddies um but um so yeah i'm so stoked that i got into south by southwest like that's like a dream and like matt and freddie worked their fucking asses off on this movie there it's like their baby and um and I'm so stoked that that work like paid off because, um, you know, South by Southwest doesn't accept every movie. So mm -hmm. there you go. What was probably your worst day of shooting on that movie? Um, let's see who. Okay. Yeah, let's throw Freddie under the bus. No, <laughs> Matt and Freddie were wonderful. Matt and Freddie were wonderful to work with on that movie. Um, I think the first day I was on set, I hadn't slept very much and I had just like driven up and um, it was like a very early call time and it was very cold uh, in Utah in the winter. Um, not as cold as Chicago, but it, I, you know, I've got, I've got that hey, thin we LA blood. So we, um, we reached above zero today. So we did. We, I think one, it hit one degree. A, a balmy two degrees. Wow, we did it, Joe. Um, but I, I just was freezing my ass off, and we were doing a, like a river scene where a car is in a river, and I'm like, you know, just running around doing errands and stuff like that and so i'm like on set half the time and then running errands for people the other half of the time and i'm using matt's car and um matt gave me his car keys without telling me that his gas his car was completely out of gas like i like <laughs> i like literally coasted into a gas station and then um my wallet was in my car and so Oof. i'm like fuck and i'm not you know one of the hip kids with the apple pay or whatever so i'm like downloading apple pay on my <laughs> on my on my like you know and finally i get like google pay to work or something so i'm able to pay for the gas and then i get a call that i need to go to um sorry this is kind of a boring story but i, I have to go to walmart and get some socks so i go to walmart and by the time it, it's really late at night it's like walmart's about to close and i'm like well i'll just use google pay again even because i'm on the same errand and um and so when i uh when i get there they're like we don't take google pay or apple pay we only take walmart pay <laughs> and so i'm like well fuck. <laughs> um, so i uh i'm like trying to like download walmart pay but it won't it needs my whole credit card to insert like to like yeah work and i'm like i don't have my credit card i don't have my wallet so i'm asking the guy in front of me yo can you buy these socks for ashley birch <laughs> to keep her tissues warm and um and i'll venmo you and then i get kicked out of walmart for panhandling <laughs> <laughs> so uh and then they're closed so i um so i had to go back to set and get yelled at <laughs> not by freddie or matt <laughs> But um, I did get yelled at. <laughs> not at all shocking to hear from Walmart. Yeah. yeah, Walmart has really weird rules at the cash register. 
Ashley didn't yell at me either, to be clear. Yeah, it was nobody that anybody knows yelled at me. So there. <laughs> Does it? It has to be someone. Somebody. Somebody knows. Like there's no, a name. Nobody knows this person. Long... <laughs> no? okay. They're a complete mystery to everybody. It was actually just a stranger that walked on set <laughs> from... <laughs> in Utah. It was, it was Adam. Was Adam was actually guy. also yeah, working on this It was Adam me. was also working on this movie. We did have a producer named Adam, and he was like the sweetest, coolest guy ever. That, We're that the same person. The right yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't this one. So. All right. Sadly, I have a work thing, so uh, continue on. I'll be back. Okay. okay. Yeah, sorry. He, he gets called about like power lines being down and shit Whoa, like that. Whoa, an important job. Yeah, he, so he has to, like... I'm pretty sure it's internet lines. It's not that fun. It's not internet lines, so go for oh. it. Oh, okay. We, I don't know what the hell his job is. I, I don't know. It's confusing, but he has to call people to go fix things. So yeah, nice. it's really simple. It's not that hard to find. <laughs> it's incredibly right. complicated. Are you going to do just... your job? Or... <laughs> <laughs> if bitch would answer his phone, I would. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um so y- you've mentioned uh before that uh Jurassic Park was the movie that made you love movies and The Sixth Sense was the movie that made you want to make movies. What's your feel good movie and what's your favorite movie? Oh, my favorite movie is Jurassic Park. I can watch that, yeah, whenever, um, any circumstances. Um, yeah, I fucking love Jurassic Park. Um, my feel-good movie. Um, hmm. Let's see. This is so stupid. And I, I feel like now, like, younger generations have rightly called out this movie for being, like, problematic and not working and stuff like that. But I love Forrest Gump. <laughs> um and um and i you know i yeah i'm just like the soundtrack gets me going i like i i just uh i love that movie and um tom hanks puts in i think an incredible performance um if uh apparently problematic sorry to say apparently like i mean if you find it problematic then that's totally valid (laughs) i'm sorry but um uh but yeah i i do find it a feel-good movie um but it has some sad moments yeah i've never seen forrest gump um, what well, is wrong you know, with you, Nick? Why no, is that what I, I came back to? That's um. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, then you know, try it out. It, it, I I think it's probably not. I think if you don't grow up with it, you probably won't like it as much. You know, it's. One I of love I love Gary Sinise. I love Tom Hanks. Gary Sinise. No. Fucking he's rips in this movie. He's in firing movie, on yeah. all cylinders. Yeah, I'm a big Gary Sinise fan as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's actually in this this great movie, unfortunately directed by uh, Kevin Spacey, called Albino Alligator, where he plays. It's kind of like a ripoff of Reservoir Dogs, but um, it's a it's a pretty cool thriller, um, in, in its own right. Um, so you know, maybe check that out. Then again, I haven't seen that in years, so it might also be pretty problematic. No, um, no, that's going on my Saturday watch list. But uh, Albino Alligator. Yeah, that's what it's called. All right. Well, what's going on? It's a watch list somewhere. And anyone who finds Forrest Gump problematic, you're really gonna hate Rain Man. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, I really that's... like Rain Man. It's I like Rain Man as well. It's a great movie. Yeah. Um. So, uh, taking a little bit of a different turn here. Um. So you've you've been very open about your life struggles. So, like, what does it mean to be a uh, uh, a positive voice for mental health, societal change, and for other strong and funny women around the world? 
Um, I yeah, I um, I those those all mean a lot to me. I don't know if I'm like really a, like a a a beacon of light in any of those. I try I try to be. I um, especially with the like the, the mental health elements and stuff like that. I think um, and and I you know um. I, again, I think now we're having much more open conversations about uh, mental health and mental illness um, in particular. And I, I think that's good in a lot of ways. Um, and um, and then sometimes I'm like, ooh, are we like um, like over medicalizing ourselves or something? I don't know. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of like conflicting feelings about it, which is why I don't think I, I would serve well as like the spokesperson, the spokesperson on it. But um, I, I am very comfortable talking about my experience with it because I, I think at the end of the day no matter where you fall on these like kind of minutiae of what is okay to talk about when it comes to mental illness I, I think ultimately something that everybody should and um and can feel is that like it, it can get better like this isn't the end necessarily you know it's like it, you can come back from this so like as I I've struggled with depression anxiety and suicides and have autism and cte and various other issues and uh listening to dungeons days like i always knew that there was other obviously other people go through struggles and stuff like that but i've never like had someone as open as you before when in contents that i take in so uh that it was just to to me, you are a positive role model in that, and in the um, also being able to see the lighter side of things. And I always used to make you. We all make the joke of like, "Oh, I'll just kill myself" or whatever. Like, and <laughs> yeah. I would say it, and then in the back of my head, be like, "Oh, I don't want people to think I'm truthful about like <laughs> this is the joke version of this this isn't the real like i hope people understand and listening to you and how how you portray yourself and how you make light of these situations has kind of helped me not be so anxious about other people's perception of me making regular jokes that involve these kinds of things and so yeah i guess well, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's uh, i'm like you know that's awesome to hear that i you know that 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 you felt less alone or whatever i'm, I'm sorry to hear you struggling with that <laughs> stuff obviously but um and you know it's it's complicated because i i don't want it to be like my whole identity right you know so mm -hmm. it's like it, it's it's a weird fine line you walk but um but at the end of the day i just want people to feel like just kind of safe in their skin even when they're feeling a little unsafe so that's kind of my goal fun fact you cannot make those jokes to your therapist as i found yeah out. that's true that's true <laughs> yeah um yeah i i i steer clear of making those jokes to my therapist as well but um sometimes after you've been with them for a long time you get a little too comfortable and then you let one slip and then they're like this is and then they start writing shit down and you're like yeah. fuck <laughs> Um, and then kind of spinning off of that, uh, I recently watched, uh, Beth wants the D, uh, and I, while watching it, I felt that there were a lot of similarities between your show and also, uh, Bo Burnham's inside, 
uh, was there any inspiration between those with, for, with that for your show and how you like, kind of hate format <laughs> things? Or um, was that just the nature of discussing mental health in a comedic way? <laughs> that's so interesting. So I really liked the first half of Inside. I thought it was like, honestly, like so awesome. And like, I had never really seen anything like it. The second mm -hmm. half, I'm so sorry. Like, I hated it. I thought it was dog shit. Like, I like like when it got really serious. I if you don't mind me, like, sorry. And this is such a bad take. Like, I know this isn't a good take, but like, <laughs> I'm just like, to Bo, I was like, my bro, you're one of the most famous comedians in the world. You can afford to not live in this house, my dude. If this is <laughs> this is making you struggle with your mental health. It's a little bit performative, in my opinion, for mm -hmm. you to cry in front of the camera about how this project has wrecked you because it's like the world of art doesn't have to be like this, my guy. And so it, I just like I really took like like it put a sour taste in my mouth that second half of the of inside. But the first half, I, I will stand by. I think it's like high art, like something really like only Bo could do. I speak mm -hmm. of like I know him. I don't fucking know this guy. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I was like I was so impressed by the first and the second half. I was like, nope, I'm out. So um, I just I just saw those similarities of like you talking to a pre-recorded version of yourself uh throughout yeah, the show true. and yeah, some of the I must comedic have... timings and beats in there kind of like i feel like that's the only way and... you can do it though is if you like pre-record yourself or something like that because like if you say it while you're saying what you're saying i feel like it just you can't quite pick out as like someone in the audience like mm. what's her yeah. inside her head compared to like what she's actually saying to us right now I, I it wasn't like an intentional homage or like something I was thinking about, but I I think that's the the power of like his art is that it, it influenced me um, even if I didn't know about it. So um, I yeah I, I um yeah I wasn't I definitely wasn't going for an homage there or whatever, but um but I I'm sure it's there. Here for here first, Beth May ripped off Oberon. <laughs> yeah, facts. Ripped off Oberon and fucking hates him. <laughs> doesn't even know him <laughs> yeah um and what was what was the idea behind dog hamlet why why was that the idea to start the show this um all credit to my my good friend alice stanley jr on dog hamlet um because um i originally had the the show starting with um this sounds absurd now, but there was nothing going on on stage and it just started with me in the audience. So the, the gag was always that the show starts with me in the audience. And my friend Alice was like, Beth, it's completely idiotic that people aren't watching a different show that you're interrupting. Like the joke is you're interrupting a show, so you got to have a show there. And so I was like, okay, well, it's Dog Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> I I just wanted like a dog Shakespeare thing, so I I don't know why I was like it's got to be Dog Hamlet. So, um, I designed all the um the uh, the slideshow components obviously because they're a little bit shitty, but um I I would I spent so much time on Dog Ham Hamlet and I was so proud and I, and I like sent it to all my friends. I was like, look at this slide for Dog Hamlet, and they're like, what's Dog Hamlet? <laughs> I was like, you'll see. Come to my show. 
Yeah, I like I, to I was... picture you walking into like a recording of Dungeons and Daddies and just on the table, just throwing it down. Like, look at what I made. They're well aware of my <laughs> affinity for bad graphic design. So, um, yeah, they would welcome me with open arms in that case. Um, yeah, I was when I started watching it at first, I thought it was you in the dog a lot of people did pajama. and I, I was like yes and like classic and then i was sitting there and got weirdly uncomfortable when the dog started licking the skull and i was <laughs> like i don't like what's happening here did i that's, that's <laughs> did Chelsea, i do something my friend wrong Chelsea, and... um licking the skull pirate. yeah she's great so then i wanted to kind of switch gears again and bring up uh the immortal soul salvage yard which I have here. That's um, right. When I first read or starting started to read uh, the book, so I had like this vision of kind of you and your personality, just kind of like what you've put out there from in Dungeons and Daddies and uh, the Patreon content and stuff like that. And I kind of had you being as more like silly goofy <laughs> jokester who makes dick jokes but doesn't like fart jokes and um she said it at one point in uh, somewhere yeah. Yeah. um and who who would bring up serious things was always surrounded by more comedy and i had that and then i started reading and it complete like it didn't like change my perspective but kind of opened up what i thought i knew of you uh as a creator um really the uh i wrote it down uh what was the thought process of opening your book with my dad once walked in on me smoking a cigarette and made me spoke a whole pack of uh, smoke a whole pack and now every time i have sex i fuck a guy like my dad will walk in and make me fuck 25 more like that was like that shocked me. I, uh, I literally because <laughs> so like I follow you on Instagram, so I always see when you do any of your poetry stuff or like anything live. And that one, I went back and like scrolled through some today for this, and I like I saw that one, and I was like, that is just such like a fucking hard hitting line. <laughs> like it's so like grotesque but that it fucking hits like it slaps. Adam read yeah. that line to me like. A year and a half ago, and I still remember it. <laughs> as soon as you started reading, I'm like, "Shit, I remember when he read this." To me. Yeah, attention um, grabber, man. Yeah, I I don't remember really. Bless you. Um, I um. Let's. I hope see. that was your cat sneezing. The, the no, that was my roommate. Um. My um, I my thought process when writing that line. I don't remember writing this poem very well. It's it's an older poem, definitely. It's probably from I would say probably like around 2015 or something like that. It's an old poem. Um, and um, and it's gone through like uh, glow ups over the years and stuff like that, some revisions and whatnot. Um, but um, I uh, one of my one of my best friends um. Uh, she always says, and I, this is probably a pretty common statement, but I heard it from her first, but it's like, you can only laugh so hard until you cry and you can only cry so hard until you laugh. And I feel like that encompasses much of my, like, um, my belief system as like an artist or whatever is that, you know, it's just like, the, there's just these two sides to everything. And you, you, it's like, 
one side is bolstered by the other. And it, I, I, so that always meant a lot to me that like, um, that, yeah, I could have these different kind of whatever sides to my creative life and that they could kind of complement each other like that. Um, and I, I'm not going to ask you about your favorite poem, but is there a poem that has more emotional meaning to you in the book than, than the others? Yeah. Um, uh, I will say the, uh, my, my dad writes about hunting dogs and I hear his voice for the first time, which is a poem near the end of the book was the last poem I wrote for the book. And it was the fastest poem I've ever written. I wrote it like, like 15 minutes. I just kind of crushed, crushed, crunched it out. And, um, and, uh, it, it really put, um, it put words in my mouth about something I had been kind of fighting with, uh, over my relationship with my dad for a while. And so it, it, it like, um, it meant a lot to me to be able to finally put that down on paper. And, um, it's still like a hard one to read out loud and stuff like that, but I, I'm really proud of it and I'm really proud of the book came together. So. Yeah. I, um, like my, I have two favorites out of your book and they're so much better. I feel like that one, like having the suicidal experiences in my life and stuff like that one hit. And then the longest title of a poem I've ever seen in my life, the love letter to the body in Tempe town lake or the immortal soul salvage yard. Um, like I really love you that gotta read too. more poetry, man. Cause there's a, there's a lot of like longer titles out there. I'm, I'm, I'm not the Guinness world record holder in this regard. Um, this is the first poetry book I've read since whatever, wh like where the sidewalk ends. Oh my like, god! <laughs> this is like well, I'm honored. I haven't read anything since, unless you count Doctor Seuss. But <laughs> I do, I do count Doctor Seuss. So. Okay, then go. I've read a lot of Doctor Seuss. Hell I have. Yeah. Uh, my wife is pregnant, so I've been reading a lot of that lately. Oh, congratulations! Oh, it's stressful. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> no thanks I, just i it's awful do not recommend <laughs> i'm sure once is, the baby's here it'll be great but <laughs> yeah <laughs> once the baby's here will be great but the 24 hours of not being able to sleep because your wife is puking every 20 minutes is not i don't recommend damn <laughs> i wouldn't it. recommend the puking part either yeah yeah damn. it's it's rough so it seems like from what you said, like you wrote that poem back in like 2015. It seems like you've been doing it for a while. Is this something that has poetry always been something you've kind of like funneled into to like express yourself? Or is that something that kind of came later in life to you? No, I was um, I got into it freshman year of college. And before then, I hated poetry. I was like not about it because um, I think in um, in class and like high school and stuff like that, even though I had an incredible creative writing teacher, we mainly focused on page poetry, which is not at the time my thing. And so in college, I met this guy, Merlin Hepworth, who's this incredible spoken word artist. And um, I saw him performing at this thing. And I was like, what is that? I want to do that. And um, it seemed like the perfect combination of acting and writing, which is two things I'm hugely into. And so um, I got into it and I, it just like, um, it kind of uh, grew into a little mini career of its own. And I, I was just like, uh, I was so stoked to be kind of like, um, like going along for the ride with it. And so that, yeah, I definitely got into poetry in college. Yeah, it's been as, I guess, a little insight for people who listen to our podcast for me. Um, with me having gone through therapy for over like the last two years, um, I found out that because I deal with anxiety and depression, but 
my anxiety is worse than like my depression is usually but we found out through therapy that like me writing stuff down makes anxiety easier but i also found out from growing closer to my dad as he is becoming older uh poetry is like a huge thing for like me and him like my dad oh, that's awesome my dad <laughs> this last christmas just showed me over this last year just all this like poet like he made like a binder like book thing but it's like just for him but like he showed it to me he's like you're the only one that's ever like read through this and i like sat down for like two hours just like flipping pages oh that's and awesome. i was like i was like oh so like in, in for the people that know me i'm very much like as shitty as it sounds like i'm your stereotypical like guy like i just hold my shit in i just like oh this sucks continue just to move forward it's how i am it's not really how i was raised but like seeing that my dad can do it and then i started like implementing it with like how i write i feel like poetry is like an easier way for me at least to like really say what i mean because you can use like overly exaggerated things and like I don't know how to word it, I guess, is the difficult part, which kind of sucks. But, like, you can be, like, really over-exaggerated and just throw everything in your head onto, like, a piece of paper in, like, a poetic way. And to you, like, at least for me, like, when I read it back, like, it makes sense. Yeah, I'm, definitely. I'm like, I'm like oh, okay, so, like, this is, I guess, I angry type. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's way more aggressive than it should be. But... <laughs> Well, I think an, a thing that doesn't get like <laughs> said aloud enough is like poetry doesn't have to be for anybody else. I've got so many poems that I've never shared and will never be in a book and will never be a spoken word piece and stuff like that. It's just like it's just for me. And so it's like as an art form, it's such a great way to kind of clear your head and just like not feel as crazy. You know, like once it's on paper, there's like evidence of it. You know, the the, the feeling was real. And so it's more valid in that case but you know it doesn't have to be for anybody else and i think that's what's cool about poetry yeah i i think that's probably like kind of how i would put it is like when you put it down like that with like how you're really feeling using however you want to to describe whatever you're thinking makes it way more like valid when you can read it off of a piece of paper than instead of just inside your head and then like the, another voice being like well that's just really fucking stupid like reading it back to yourself is like oh Okay. Yeah. No. Like this makes sense to me now. Yeah. But also, that might just be me and my horrible way of thinking things. So. <laughs> you recently released uh, an EP, as Scary Marlowe, titled "Butthole Ricochet." Um, oh, sophomore what... slump. Yeah, but the yeah. band is. But yeah, that's the, the band, band is, is Butthole Ricochet. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was reading it. I was like, I think she titled this "Butthole Ricochet" the sophomore slump. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so fairy tale was by far my favorite song on it. Uh, I, it does not resonate with me at all, but weirdly still made me cry. Like, <laughs> like literally everything that song is talking about, I've never been through, but I was like, just listening. I was like, it hit me for some reason. Um, what personal experiences of your own did you pull, uh, in writing for, the album not written by you quote unquote 
Hmm, that's interesting. I um I didn't pull a lot from my life to be honest. Um I guess I um like something I can relate to with scary is like that feeling of being alone and that feeling of not feeling like um what you do matters and stuff like that. And I think a lot of teenage girls and a lot of teenagers in general can like relate to that. And so um I I guess I had like kind of an inkling that it might be a little impactful. And then, you know, with fairy tales specifically, you know, I, I love my father very much, but I have a complicated relationship with him. And so I think it was, uh, it was pretty easy for me to write about like, um, kind of like somebody wishing they had a different relationship with their biological father is mm -hmm. I think is something that's easy to tap into me, uh, into for me. So, um, and, uh, you know, it, it, I, I think you know, that maybe came from the realist play. I, I, I don't know, you know, that I, maybe I, I would give that, that, um, that award to the worst thing in the world is hope or something. But, um, yeah, they, I think they all come from this like real emotion of like, yeah, there's a real angst in me or there, at least there <laughs> used to be. But, um, so, you know, I, I, I think um, what's cool about any sort of art is that if you're tapping into something real, at least a little bit, like you can use your creative mind to like expound on that and, um, and maybe bring it, uh, uh, bring it to reality for other people as well. So I, I'm super jazzed with how the album came out. Maxon did an incredible job. Freddie did an incredible job. Chris, our mixer master, did an incredible job. It just like it just came together like really magically. I was super stoked. I'm I'm now waiting for the scary Marlo diss track of Bo Burnham. Um, <laughs> but so I I just have a few more questions here uh, that I've written down. Um, so in an interview with Voyage LA, you mentioned that you were developing a TV series in the vein of Memento meets Ladybird based very loosely on your own life. How's that going? <laughs> um, it's a feature now. I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, um, but it, it might, you know, I'm really proud of the script. I think the script is really solid. Um, I um, also a uh, quick heads up to anybody in the LA area that Voyage LA is like a data mining scam. So it's like people will like, <laughs> yeah. So like, don't, <laughs> If they reach out to you to email to do an interview with you, like don't do that. So like, <laughs> <laughs> fuck Bobardum, fuck Voyage LA. <laughs> no, no, no. The second one I can understand. <laughs> so um, yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that when I did it, and then somebody uh like so I you know it came out and somebody was like, girl, why did you do this? And I was like, well, they asked, and so I'm I'm like you know it's somebody asked me for an interview i like hearing myself talk i'll say yes most of the time so yeah we can tell from the fact that you just joined us i'm assuming adam lied to you about the amount of people that listen i didn't <laughs> tell her uh, yeah <laughs> Smarter, good. honestly all good because um, like 15 would have been a lie <laughs> we get more than that um Depending so on you recently head. did a short film that's being turned into a movie the flower of battle uh, how did that happen and what drew you to the role? Um, they emailed me. 
And so would you like to be in this movie? Um, (laughs) The data mining scam is starting to make a little bit more sense. Yeah, I definitely, yes, I know. Yeah, I I say yes to too much. But I've actually been saying no to more stuff recently, too. So that's probably a good, after Voyager LA, that's probably a good Yeah. Thank God it wasn't us. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've been saying no to some more stuff, so good for me. But, um, uh, you know, yeah, so they asked in an email, and then they were incredibly competent and amazing directors, so it, it all worked out. You know, they were very patient with me. Um, I was going through a little bit of a tough time, so I was coming back to acting um, after a long break, and um, and it, we got to shoot in this incredible location and stuff like that. So it was, like, it was tight as hell, so I, I have no regrets whatsoever with that. I... uh. I did a spit take when, uh, like, the whole intro of that is very, like, an Italian guy and a British guy, like, going through. And then you come in and go in your normal accent, signore. Yeah, <laughs> I, just... I, that, I, I, I do have some second thoughts about, like, I, it was, like, the thing that I was going to be more modern and stuff like that. But then when I watched it all together, I was like, is this a mistake? And did I fuck up? But um, it's fine. No, it's great. It's great. It was like, that was, at the the time it felt like a very strong choice. It felt like a strong choice, but now I'm like, maybe that wasn't the strong choice that I wanted it to be. (laughs) It still looks like a strong choice, but it's a good, strong choice. Like Mm -hmm. I loved it. And it's not like you were the only like American accent there because so, um, but for some reason, your voice saying Signore is just, (laughs) I'll, I'll put it on repeat. Like (laughs) that. And then you just throwing grain bags on the chair. Oh yeah, that was that was such a fun shot. Yeah, throwing grain bags that were supposed to be heavy, but then what? Like clearly they were not heavy. <laughs> no, they were heavy. They're heavy. Um, I was I was just a strong girl. So there. Okay. Yeah. Um. So who oh, who would you 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 say <laughs> is your favorite contemporary uh poet? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, he just he hits a Galba's ass. <laughs> I don't oh, tell him I'm that. good. I'm good. Adam and I literally researched since like you even said that you would possibly go on this podcast. We we're like, well, we gotta go back now. And you know what? I'll add on to that. Who's who's your favorite traditional poet as well? Favorite wow. um uh traditional poet, probably Philip Larkin. I I know he's more modern, but he's I mean he's old 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 enough to fucking be he's traditional. An old man. Fucking um and, my, and then my current fave little contemporary freak is uh Brendan Constantine. I just love his little freaky shit. So there you go. <laughs> And these last questions, they're more rapid fire. So however long you want to make these answers is fine. All right. um, is there any competitor from Schmodown history that you wish you could have competed against and why? Um, I really sucked at movie trivia Schmodown, but like I feel like I could probably take um oh shit, what was that guy's name? The one guy that beat me that he's so irrelevant that <laughs> no, he's like very relevant, but like oh brother of Lomas. Yeah, I feel like I could take him in a remax. So there. I probably couldn't, but yeah, it feels like I could. So there you go. I, I unfortunately found out you were on Schmodown 
after it ended because I used to watch it when it was on Collider. Oh, it's and then when Collider ended, so I stopped cool. watching I got it. Very lucky and... that my roommate used to work with them and I got to try it out. I, I wish that I had been better at it, but I, I'm a little anxious little noodle, so it was kind of hard for me. Like like I you know, to actually be on. So it was like yeah. yeah I, I want to see you go against Dan Merle and just <laughs> <laughs> That would be fun. Yeah, sure. It'd be fun. You'd probably lose, but it'd be so much fun. And just because I feel like you'd bring like just an energy, just a maybe you trip them off the energy. Just, just yeah, come in with huge (laughs) energy, and Dan will just be annoyed. And then (laughs) of anything that you've done. Oh fuck! Let me see if I still have this. Oh I'm my god, I found it! You guys All are right. in for a treat. This is such an old review. This is one of the first reviews from Dungeons and Daddies. Oh boy! Good podcast with one catch. Oh, no. I love this podcast. The interaction between Will, Anthony, Freddie, and Matt is fantastic, and they remind me of my old gaming group. However, I cannot stand Beth May. She apparently thinks she is the comedy relief for this group, yet she is rarely funny. Her over-the-top sexual jokes and things that she apparently thinks guys do get very tiresome after the second episode, and it's to the point where I wish I could bleep her out without missing any dialogue. She rarely contributes to the group, and I quickly got tired of her in the last episode looking for wood rather than something more useful because she felt as a man that's important to me. And her constant joke about not receiving the metaphorical sword Henry spoke about. It seemed others in the group got tired of her too. Beth May is the sole reason this podcast is not receiving a five for me. So that is a two-star review for for Dungeons and Daddies. But I I keep it on my phone because you got to remember where you came from. So Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode and thanks beth for coming on the show yeah, yeah of uh, course thank anyth- you for having me amazing anything you want to plug yeah um not really it's, it's all okay. out there yeah so uh, i am i i'm on um, instagram and twitter at hey beth may that's hey like you're saying hi beth like my first name may like the month i guess we're gonna be expecting uh the infamous monsters and mommies recording to be released anytime now um, <laughs> yeah, no. it's never seen the light of day actually so <laughs> okay. there you go all right. Amazing. Best guest that we ever had. Pretty great. Pretty awesome. Pretty chill. Mm-hmm. 12 out of 10. Yeah. Thanks so much, everyone, for, for listening. Uh, starting today, we are offering our Patreon a seven-day free trial for anyone who joins our Patreon. So this video interview with Beth is going to be available for free. You can and sign you... up at any point in February and you get a seven-day free trial. Nick, do the roar. I thought I saw sirens, or not. I can't see sirens, but oh, that's my bad. That might be at my place. There's a yeah. I I heard it, but that I also saw them. So okay, man, everybody Um, needs help. Yeah, yeah.